Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. My name is Haley Elizabeth, and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest bank heist in history, the biggest drug bust in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can head over to the YouTube channel every Wednesday for the visual version, or you can head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts for the audio version every Tuesday. Now, for today's case, we're going to be talking about the case of Jake Nolan, and now there is is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into it. Jake Nolan was born in New York to his parents, Jim and Debbie Nolan, and his two older siblings, with him being the youngest. He came from a wealthy family in Long Island, and his parents described Jake as a kid to be very sweet and very loving. As a kid, Jake was very kind, polite, and respectful to every person that he met, and even people who didn't give him respect, he always gave them respect. He was also very, very smart in school and got good grades. But at five years old, that is when he was diagnosed with ADHD, and ever since then, he continued to struggle with a lot of mental health issues. At 15 years old, Jake had bad mood swings and even skipped school often because he couldn't bring himself to get out of bed and then was later diagnosed with anxiety and depression. At 17 years old, Jake was actually hospitalized after taking a knife from the kitchen and telling his parents that he was going to go upstairs to his room so he could kill himself. After this incident is when he was diagnosed with bipolar. In 2012, he graduated high school and went on to college, and at this point in his life, he's around 17, 18 years old, and he, at this point, had been prescribed 30 different medications, but none of them had worked, and so a way to cope with all of his mental illness, since all of his prescriptions weren't working, he would use alcohol and illegal drugs to cope. And one day, um, Jake's father, Jim, gets a call from Jake's college wondering if everything was okay because they hadn't had Jake in class for a while. And this is when Jim and Debbie found out that Jake was actually skipping a lot of his classes just to either go out and do drugs or just stay in bed all day extremely depressed. Jim and Debbie grew extremely concerned for Jake because at this point, he was only 19 years old. He was still a teenager with so much life left to live, so they wanted to help. And Debbie Nolan, who was Jake's mother, um, her 
Her niece, 40-year-old Pamela Buckbinder, offered to take Jenk in for free and help him because Pamela was a very successful and wealthy psychiatrist. She was actually one of the best in New York City and had a very close relationship to begin with with Jake. Pamela gonna do this for free and they just thought that this was the perfect scenario and Jake was on board for it too. Jake even said in an interview, quote, Pamela and I had formed a relationship when I was really young. This is my cousin. This is someone I really knew and I entrust everything into this one woman. I mean, this woman is gonna save my life. Pamela also told Debbie and Jim that she would take Jake in to live with her for a couple of months, her and her four-year-old son named Calder. She said that if Jake moved in and helped her out with Calder, then she would basically give him a place to live for free. She would give him regular therapy sessions, track his alcohol use and drug use by giving alcohol and drug tests. She also would monitor him taking his medications. And so to this, the family was completely on board and so was Jake. It was basically like he was going off to a free rehabilitation center with one of the best psychiatrists in the state of New York. So a little bit of background on Pamela Buckbinder. Pamela Buckbinder is a practicing psychiatrist from Manhattan and a single mother of four-year-old Calder. Her relationship with Calder's father, Dr. Michael Weiss, who was a fellow successful practicing psychiatrist, their relationship together was quite rocky. And although the two of them had never gotten married, they welcomed their son Calder back in 2008. And honestly, Pamela and Michael's relationship from day one has been a mess. They've been extremely on and off. A lot of their friends and family would say that the couple was very lovey one minute and then angry at each other in the next minute and they were just an extremely toxic couple together. Some of their arguments would even turn physical and this one time Pamela was actually arrested after throwing a cup at Michael's head causing him to bleed and then go to the hospital. And another time where Michael was also arrested after Pamela told the police that he threatened to assault her which is very 50-50 if this is true or not and as we go along you will see you know Pamela behavior because Pamela has gone to jail for actually abusing Michael, causing Michael to go to the hospital, while Pamela calls the police just over a threat of assault from Michael. The two of them ended up having Calder in 2008, but then split up the following year in 2009, leading Pamela to take care of Calder, and because of this, she moved from Manhattan to Greenwich Village in New York. And then in 2011, two years later, that is when Pamela and Michael began a custody battle for Calder, but throughout this entire custody battle, Pamela was just extremely petty to Michael. Pamela had turned Calder against Michael, and she would often tell Calder lies about Michael, and basically just say that, you know, your dad is a bad person, your dad did this terrible thing and that terrible thing, although it wasn't true. She was basically just trying to turn Calder against his father so that she could win full custody. And it was said that Pamela Pamela would even interrogate Calder to find inside information about Michael and then use that inside information against him in court. So it's basically like she was using Calder as like her spy. And then in 2012 is when the custody battle had ended and they agreed to have joint custody with Pam getting Calder during the weeks and Michael getting weekends. Michael agreed to pay child support but one of 
Pamela's rules was that Michael had to maintain a $1.5 million life insurance policy. And on top of that, he had to name Calder, their son, as the beneficiary and Pamela as the trustee. I'm assuming the only reason Michael agreed to this was because the custody battle started back in 2011 and now it's a year later in 2012. And from what you can see Pamela's behavior, she, I'm assuming, is not the easiest to work with and that's why it went on for so long. And so he probably just agreed to maintaining the 1.5 million life insurance policy because he was drawn out and tired and just thought, you know, it's whatever. If this is what I have to do to see my son, then I'll do it. But honestly, I feel like this should have been the first red flag of, you know, Pamela making sure that Michael has a good life insurance policy. And then on top of that, making her the trustee for Calder, who is the beneficiary. That was basically where Pamela is currently at when she agreed to take Jake in. At this point, she had only had this custody of Calder for about two weeks prior to Jake moving in, but Jake agreed to live there and help raise Calder with Pamela, and it was said that Jake, when he started living at Pamela's, he actually started to change for the better. He started to feel a lot better and even developed a bond with Pamela. His main problem for most of his life was that he had a lot of self-doubt and feeling like his good wasn't good enough no matter how hard he worked. And so with this close bond with Pamela, Pamela actually made Jake the godfather of Calder, which made Jake feel like he had purpose and someone who needed him. And so because of this newfound purpose in his life, he took care of Calder as if he was his own son and he made Calder his whole personality. And Jake even said, quote, this was a kid that I loved with more than my life. From the outside, this did seem like a very empty gesture because as you will see later, that this was probably Pamela's first action of trying to get Jake to trust her, trying to manipulate Jake in thinking that his purpose is to please Calder, thus pleasing Pamela. Pamela with only, you know, being with Jake for a couple weeks, I don't think she trusted Jake enough to make him a godfather because being a godfather is a very big responsibility. If something happens to both of the parents, then that son would be in custody of that person that you make a godfather or godmother. So this was a very big responsibility and with Jake's mental health at this time, the reason why he's living at Pamela's is because he has extreme depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. And so I don't think Pamela would trust Jake at this point in his life to take care of Calder if something happened to her. And then on November 12th of 2012, on this day is when Michael had his son for the day, so he was feeling really good. He got Calder ready for school, dropped him off at daycare, and then went to his home office to meet his first client. Midway through the session, that is when 19-year-old Jake Nolan bust through the door holding a large duffel bag. Michael knew of Jake because he knew that Jake was living with Pamela, but he didn't really know him personally. There's actually pictures of him attending Jake's bar mitzvah when he was a young teenager. Michael was also aware of Jake's mental health issues and so when Jake walked in, he walked in in clear distress. That is when Michael had calmly told Jake to leave his office so that he could finish his therapy session with the person that he was currently with. When the session with his client was over, that is when Michael went back outside of his office and saw Jake sitting in the living room just waiting. Jake said that he was there 
there to collect financial aid documents for Calder's preschool. And Michael just said, okay, yeah, like come into my office. I'll show you exactly where they are. So Michael at first did tell Jake to leave the duffel bag in the waiting room, but mostly because he knew who Pamela was and knew that she was the type of person to put like recording equipment or bugging the place because as I just said, Pamela had tried to manipulate Calder and turn him against his own father. So it's not too wild to think that Pamela would, you know, go as far as bugging his apartment and trying to catch him saying something that he's not supposed to say. But Jake refused to leave the duffel bag outside, which wasn't that big of a deal to Michael. He was just like, okay, like after this, I'll probably just get my place sweeped so that I could see if there's any recording things. And so while Michael and Jake are in Michael's office, that is when Jake asked Michael if he could use the bathroom. And so he does. But when he comes out of the bathroom, that is when he charges at Michael with a 10 pound sledgehammer. Michael was quick and he did dodge the deadly blow, but it did unfortunately hit his shoulder. Jake lost control because of this sledgehammer. It was 10 pounds and it was not easy to swing around. So he tossed the sledgehammer aside and then pulled a knife out of the devil bag and began wildly stabbing Michael Weiss in the arms, legs, back, chest, and stomach. Michael fought with everything that he had and it was also going to take Jake a lot to bring Michael down because Michael was not small. Michael was 6'3 and 205 pounds, a lot bigger than Jake. Michael was able to gain control and grab the knife out of Jake's hand and stab him above the collarbone. When Michael looked down at the knife that he was holding, he looked at it in fear and confusion because he noticed that the knife he was holding was from a kitchen knife set that he had bought Pamela for Christmas. Michael began running outside of his apartment and screaming for help with Jake stumbling behind him. Because of all this commotion, neighbors obviously ran out and all gathered and just saw Jake and Michael crawling on the floor covered in blood. Michael crawled his way all through the hallway and in the middle of the hallway is where he passed out on the floor while Jake had clutched his wound and leaned against the wall. They were trying to get help for Michael, trying to figure out if he was okay, and the neighbors were watching Jake and asking, you know, what happened? Are you okay? But the weird thing about this is that as the neighbors are like looking at Jake and trying to see if he's okay while the police are on their way, all of a sudden they just see Jake pull out his phone and snap a quick selfie of himself before sending it off to Pamela. When neighbors saw this, they were very, very confused as to why he just whipped out his phone and took a selfie real quick as he's covered in blood and Michael is dying right next to him. So when paramedics show up, that is when Jake was talking to the paramedics and since Michael was passed out, he then switched the story and said that Michael actually attacked him and Jake was defending himself. But when the police took Michael and Jake to the hospital and they also took a closer look at the crime scene, they even spoke with neighbors who basically said Michael came crawling out of his apartment yelling for help while that kid just took a picture of himself and he seems very calm about the situation. So as the police are gathering evidence trying to figure out what happened, they put it together pretty quickly that Michael was the victim and not the criminal. 
When they were investigating the crime scene, they recovered a sledgehammer with Jake's DNA on it and Michael's shoulder injury lined up with his shoulder being hit from the sledgehammer, meaning that Jake was the criminal and not the victim. They recovered the kitchen knife that was used and they found that matched Pamela's exact kitchen knife block as well as the knife that was used was the knife missing from the knife block. They collected Jake's duffel bag and in the duffel bag they found a pack of cigarettes, zip ties, a Home Depot bag, two pillows, and a hand-drawn map of Michael Weiss's building with two separate circles around both entrances of the building and a line showing how to get from one door to the other as if for an, an escape plan. Police found from the Home Depot bag that it was bought from West 23rd Street in Chelsea, New York. And so when they looked at the security footage of this Home Depot, what they found was the night before Jake was purchasing a sledgehammer as well as zip ties, but it was shown that Jake was not by himself, but Pamela was right there next to him and even paid for the supplies in cash. So that means that the night before when Michael was enjoying his night with his son, Pamela was buying materials to murder him the very next day. So now going back to the story, Jake and Michael were taken to the hospital and thank God Michael had survived. He basically was just stitched up and was sent home with a lot of medications and Jake as well was stitched up and then arrested for the attempted murder of Michael Weiss. He was arrested, but then he was released on a $200,000 bail. His parents at first lived in New York, but during like the years they moved to Miami and he was able to fly home to Miami and visit his parents, even though he was awaiting a murder trial. So he lived with his parents while awaiting trial and while awaiting trial, he struggled even more with his mental health and even attempted to kill himself multiple times during this time. At first, Jake lied to the police and said that it was self-defense and that Michael grabbed a sledgehammer out of his bag and start attacking him with it, but the police knew very quickly that this was a lie because no one just carries around a sledgehammer and a knife and zip ties like if you don't have intent to use it. All of Jake's lies that he was telling to the police caught up with him and he basically told the truth and he pointed the finger at Pamela and said that this was all her idea. He says that Pamela had brainwashed him into murdering Michael, but the police, for some reason, didn't believe Jake. They didn't believe that Michael had hit Jake, but they also didn't believe that Pamela brainwashed Jake either. They just thought that Jake was refusing to take accountability for having one of his episodes. And I think the reason why the police thought like this at first was because, you know, with Pamela being such a big person in this story, they definitely interviewed her first. Pamela probably told the police something along the lines of like, oh, well, he's not mentally right right now. He probably did that um, when he was having an episode. He has suicidal thoughts and depression and anxiety and that he did was probably just a result of that. But as me and you both know, that is insanely far from the truth. And so also while awaiting trial in November of 2013, Michael Weiss had actually sued Pamela and Jake. Michael claimed that Pamela had forced him into making his life insurance 
insurance policy to a $1.5 million and then four days later try to kill him and collect his money. Four days after he had agreed to making his life insurance policy in court, this means that he gets to see his son on the weekends. That is when four days later, literally Pamela tries to murder and send a hitman out on Michael. Jake Nolan also claims that he had no clue about the life insurance policy and we're assuming that this is right because as I said, Jake came from money. He was easily able to pay off his $200,000 bail and just be out on the streets again. Money for him wasn't really a motive or issue. But since money wasn't the motive for Jake to do this, then what was the motive for Jake to do something like this? Michael's lawyer brought in a forensic expert and started analyzing all of the evidence and actually confirmed when comparing handwriting that Pamela was actually the one that drew the hand-drawn map that was found in Jake's duffel bag. They assumed that Pamela did this as a way to instruct Jake on exactly what to do and where to go, meaning that this was Pamela's idea to begin with. Don't worry, it's still me, just now in sponsorship mode, thanking the sponsor of today's episode, HelloFresh. Now, if you guys don't know what HelloFresh is, HelloFresh is a monthly subscription service that offers farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Get farm-to-table quality with every HelloFresh box. HelloFresh's seasonal ingredients are picked at peak ripeness and travel from the farm to your doorstep in less than seven days for fresh flavor in every bite. And not only is HelloFresh more convenient than grocery shopping, it's also a lot cheaper, exactly 25% less cheaper than takeout. Personally, I love HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, it's not only helped my bank account so that I can, you know, save money on ordering out and also just, you know, cooking at home. It's definitely helped me cook a lot better in general. I feel like with HelloFresh, you're getting ingredients that typically you wouldn't really use. I remember for this one recipe I did a while back for like a certain sandwich, I had to use red wine vinegar and I never used red wine vinegar, but now it's something that I literally put into all of my sauces because I've just learned that I loved it. So HelloFresh has definitely helped me, you know, expand my horizons when it comes to cooking. And if you guys want HelloFresh for yourself, all you need to do is go to HelloFresh.com behind 16 and use code behind 16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. And thank you once again to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to your episode. They also found in phone records that Pamela had been in contact with Jake before and after the attempted murder. As I said earlier, when Jake randomly took that selfie of himself all bloodied and then sent it to Pamela, he had sent off that photo along with a text message saying that the plan had failed and he had gotten hurt. But from this photo and message, he had gotten no response. And so later on, when he was admitted into the hospital, he had sent a message to Pamela saying, quote, in hospital, please come. Michael bleeding badly. Same. 
I walked into office. He stabbed me with knife in the heart. Jake's parents also set a restraining order on Pamela to separate Pamela and Jake because they felt that Pamela was the reason that Jake had been stabbed. Jake had even come out later and said, quote, there was no plan for after the attack. I think it was Pamela's plan to just dismiss me like, oh man, he tried to kill him. He lost. Try again later. I really believe it was her plan to try again if I hadn't done anything the first time around. And so although everything was pointed at Pamela and obviously there was some manipulation going on with Jake and also with her being his therapist, it's even easier to manipulate someone when they're so vulnerable, which Pamela did. Now, although all the fingers were pointed at Pamela being the ringleader of this, Pamela was never arrested. She never had her son taken away. She didn't even have her medical license be put in jeopardy for what she did. Even though she had done this to Jake, she was still actively seeing patients and diagnosing and helping patients every day. It was actually Pamela who was the one who shut her own practice down after all of the backlash from the media about this case. Now, although in this situation you would, you know, point all fingers at Pamela, but Jake didn't deflect blame whatsoever. He said that although Pamela was the manipulator and the ringleader, that was a choice that he personally made to hurt Michael. He said that he was ordered to kill Michael and then collect all of Michael's money so that she didn't have to work, and then she would share the custody of Calder with Jake and they could basically live happily ever after, but Michael's lawyer came out and said, quote, her overall belief that it was appropriate to deprive this child of his father's guidance and affection can only be viewed as evidencing the mother's total indifference to this child's well-being. And then in 2015, two years into awaiting trial and nothing had been done, Pamela still hadn't had her license revoked, she still hadn't had her custody taken away, and Jake was still undergoing charges of attempted murder. Pamela is clear a violent person and would go to the extreme for things to go her way, even planning a murder. Pamela was the one who bought the sledgehammer and zip ties. That's a very suspicious combo. Just to be buying, what situation would you even need both of those things for? And also, if I was in Michael's position, I personally would not be comfortable leaving my child in the hands of someone who just tried to, like, hire a hitman on me. And so, while Jake was awaiting trial, that is when he started to get real therapy and real help, not by Pamela or a family friend, and it was once Jake actually entered into real therapy and started to talk to police more about what actually happened, he started to realize a lot of the abuse that Pamela had done to him. He said that Pamela would give him regular therapy sessions, but found that Jake was riddled with lots of self-doubt, identity issues, feeling unworthy, and unimportant. And so after Pamela unpacked all of Jake's really terrible feelings about himself, he was given this godfather title by her. And what this did for him is basically flip his perspective and feel that he had purpose in this world, that he was needed, and he needed to stick around in this world in order to help Calder and be there for Calder, thus making Calder his whole life and personality. You see this a lot in cults where 
where people gravitate and dedicate their lives to something or someone that gives them purpose. Jake would also then go on to say that he felt like he was more involved in Pamela's life than he should have and he was given unreasonable responsibilities. He basically had to take care of Calder nearly full time. He cleaned the house, he was there for Pamela, he supported her, and developed a very, very close and even a little romantic relationship with her. And on top of all of that, Pamela was his psychiatrist. And so since she was in charge of all of his meds, his therapy, and his life, basically, it was very, very easy for Pamela to get involved in Jake's life and turn it around so that he would trust her more and more. There were even photos that resurfaced online of Jake and Pamela laying in bed with four-year-old Calder just acting like a couple. And in this photo, Jake was 19 years old and Pamela was 40 years old. And Jake would even come out about this photo saying, quote, I guess that just goes to show you the level of comfort that I really felt there. It was not unusual in the morning for her to invite me into bed with her and Calder and to share that familial moment, you know? really feel like a family together. There were also text message conversations that would be shown later at courts that would reveal text conversations with Pamela calling Jake pet names such as quote lovey and sweet Jay or basically just altogether love bomb Jake and even saying things like quote you are the most beautiful and brilliant person I've ever met and also saying quote I have so many thoughts about you throughout the day. I miss you. I think about you all day and I miss you when we're apart. And so as you can see, that is not something that you just text your therapist. Like that's clearly something you text a spouse. Mind you, Jake and Pamela are related, blood related, like first cousins related. And it was also later shown that Pamela was attempting to do to Jake exactly what she did to Calder in trying to turn Jake against Michael. Pamela would often tell Jake all the moments where Michael had abused her and would even S.A. Calder multiple times and that's why she needed custody of Calder. Pamela would also tell Jake Michael was refusing to pay child support so she had no help from anyone but this, you know, refusing to pay child support claim was later proven wrong when in receipts at court, they saw that Michael was clearly paying her, like the money was going into her banking account, but there would be no way for Jake to know about any of this. He trusted Pamela and Jake would even later say, quote, I would have done anything for Pamela. It happened so slowly that you don't really recognize this growing feeling inside you that one day you wake up and say, I'll kill for this woman. And at this point, this story was making big news and everyone was blaming Pamela for grooming a vulnerable teenager for murdering her ex. And a lot of people I know can say, well, he technically did have a choice. He is to blame too because he had a lot of time to think about it and turn away. Even when he was waiting for Michael's session to be over, he had lots of time to rethink his actions 
things and turn around, but he decided not to. And I'm not claiming that Jake is innocent, even Jake himself. He takes full responsibility for his actions, including the consequences that follow, but he does say that he wouldn't have murdered anyone if it wasn't for Pamela. He had no urge to murder. He had no murderous tendencies. He didn't want to do it, but he did it because he loved Pamela. He was manipulated by Pamela to do it as well. And when you're in that mindset, it's not just as easy as snapping out of it. It's a lot easier said than done when you're in that headspace. And for him, Pamela was his only guidance. She was his entire life. She was the only person that he really talked to. And so there was no one around to give him common sense on what to do. And as I said earlier, Jake even himself says that he feels that if he didn't try to kill Michael the first time or didn't follow through with it, Pamela would have just made him do it again. And he loved Pamela way too much to rat her out to others or even leave her altogether. And as I said, Pamela was the only person Jake was talking to, so there was no outside perspective or outside opinion on what he should do. Pamela's opinions and choices were also his opinions and choices. So at the trial is when Jake actually took the court through the entire day of November 12th. Jake said that that morning he was woken up by Pamela by rubbing his back and telling him how much she loved him. After that, they had breakfast and through breakfast, Pamela continued to praise Jake and tell him things like he was the greatest person ever, her savior, and no one besides Jake understood her. And the night before, they had actually purchased a sledgehammer and zip ties from Home Depot and Jake would come out and say, quote, she had already told me that she wanted me to hit him over the head, playing Maxwell's Silver Hammer by the Beatles repeatedly in the house. Jake also said at the trial that Pamela didn't just request him to kill Michael, Pamela also wanted Jake to torture Michael beforehand. Jake would go on to say, quote, Pamela was determined for me to, you know, torture Michael before killing him. She wanted me to inject him with some poisonous chemicals. She wanted me to burn him alive in front of a group of people. He did not follow through on any of those torture things, I'm assuming because he was just scared for his life. And so that morning, while Michael was taking his four-year-old son to daycare, Pamela was packing the duffel bag of weapons that Jake was going to use on Michael that day day. Jake said that Pamela was crying hysterically as she was putting the sledgehammer and the knife into the bag and even said, quote, today is the day. Life is going to be so much better after Michael is terminated. Jake took the duffel bag and the map that Pamela had drawn and he went through the building, through the circled entrances, and went through specifically the business entrance. And when he went in, he had no effort in trying to hide his identity or appearance on security cameras. And when he signed into the building, he signed using his real name. And when the court had asked him, why didn't you use a fake name or why didn't you even try to cover up that you were the murderer, Jake just said, quote, I signed in with my own name. Remember, I was willing to die for this woman. I wasn't going to try to hide everything. And from there, that is when Jake went up to Michael's apartment, burst into his office, but then realized that Michael was in the middle of a session. He waited out in the waiting area and he said that as he was waiting, he even had a thought for a moment that he wanted to back out, but felt like he couldn't, saying, quote, 
because I couldn't go back to Pamela without this done. I felt like I had no choice. I feel like Jake just couldn't understand at this time that him and Pamela was never going to work out because in the end, it was either Pamela fully grooming Jake to be whatever he wanted her to be or having Jake kill Michael instead of just severely hurting him. Jake felt like there was no way he could go home to Pamela and their son and will live happily ever after and just move past this and on with their lives. If Jake went home without killing Michael, Pamela would just force him to do it again and Jake was too scared to go to his family or friends about this because he loved Pamela too much and didn't want to see anything bad happen to her. When Jake first met Pamela, he was broke. Broken, and that's when Pamela came in and put him back together. But when he was put back together, Pamela had molded him into something that she wanted. This led Jake to literally be driven insane by his own therapist and just following and looking up to her as a leader. Jake had a weak and susceptible psyche and was manipulated by a person in power and a person that he trusted. Jake was examined by two doctors and one of the doctors said that Pamela knew how to manipulate Jake and then transformed him into a weapon that she can control. But on the other hand, the other doctor said that Jake did it even though he had a choice to stop. This doctor asked Jake, well, did you follow through on the torture? Which Jake replied, no, I didn't follow through on the torture. And this doctor says, well, why didn't you follow through on it? And to this, Jake says, well, because I couldn't handle it. I couldn't do it. And so this doctor argues that if Jake was able to make the decision not to torture Michael, he could have easily made the decision to not kill kill Michael as well. But Jake's lawyer reminds the court that Pamela was indeed the mastermind manipulator and had every motive to kill Michael while Jake had no motive to kill Michael. If Michael was dead, Pamela would get a $1.5 million life insurance and didn't have to share custody with anyone. By the end of the trial, that is when Jake was found guilty of the attempted murder of Michael Weiss and was sentenced to nine and a half years in prison while Pamela got to walk free. But Pamela would not be able to walk free for long because the following year, on October 19th, 2017, Pamela was arrested at a friend's house in Syracuse, New York and was charged with the second degree attempted murder, first degree attempted assault. And apparently it was actually pretty hard to find Pamela because the officers had given Pamela three opportunities to surrender and turn herself in, but each time she had refused. And so the police had tried looking for Pamela and Pamela had actually given the police three different addresses in Manhattan as like an emergency contact info, but they went to to all three locations and they couldn't find her and they searched for Pamela calling her phone calling relatives for an entire three weeks they were actually able to track Pamela's phone instead of just calling it and they found that she was actually hopping around in locations in Massachusetts but she was later found at her friend's house in Fayetteville New York 
When she was found, she was found with a bag of all materials ready to go as if she was about to run. She had her passport, her birth certificate, as well as Calder's passport, which was expired. And for those who don't know, Fayetteville, New York is actually on the Canadian border. So it was believed that she was trying to flee to Canada with Calder. And so at her trial, she was pleading not guilty. And because of this, there was a proper trial trial on October 20th of 2017. Even though Pamela pled not guilty, the prosecutors actually tried to argue with the court of having no bail because Pamela had attempted to flee during her arresting. They also noted that Pamela, very similar to Jake, came from a lot of money and it would actually be very easy for Pamela to post up to a $1 million bail because she had a $1.6 million uh, like savings in real estate and Pamela's mother was willing to put up her Florida home as collateral which basically means that Pamela's mom would sell her vacation home in Florida and use that money to pay for Pamela's bail. The court came out and said quote the defendant is charged with orchestrating every step of a brutal attack on the father of her child from purchasing the sledgehammer used to strike the victim to drawing a map depicting the easiest entrance to his home office. Pamela Buckbinder is alleged to have played an integral role in the vicious assault, which were it not be for concerned neighbors and responding NYPD officers could have easily turned fatal. Pamela said that there was no discussion or evidence that could be pointed to her to the time of the crime. She didn't even text Jake back when Jake had sent her that selfie of him all bloody. She claims that the reason why she drew the map was to help Jake pick up colder on the days where she was working and couldn't and she wanted to make sure that Jake knew where to go but although this explains the map this didn't explain why she was buying a sledgehammer and zip ties and then coincidentally the very next day that same exact sledgehammer and zip ties is found in a duffel bag that was used to murder her ex to which if she did murder her ex she would get 1.5 million dollars and full custody of her son and then with all of this combined on September 7th of 2022 at 52 years old is when Pamela had pleaded guilty to avoid a 25-year sentence. But on October 11th, 2022, she actually tried to withdraw this guilty plea, claiming that at the time of her recent plea where she switched to guilty, she was not on her medications and she was also secondhand high from smoke that people were smoking like at the holding facility and the transport bus with like synthetic weed and she also said that she was maced by guards so her vision was extremely blurry but the court declined this and sentenced her to 11 years in prison and five years of parole as well as her medical license finally being revoked. As for today, Jake is still in prison and living out his sentence and should be released in 2025 at the age of 30 years old. Pamela is currently still serving her sentence and is to be released in 2028 at the age of 56 years old. And yeah, that is the end of today's story. If you guys found this video interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts. Make sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot. If you want to follow me on any of my socials, that'll be linked down below as well as my PO box if you want to send me anything. And yeah, that is all from me. As always, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I will see you guys next week.
拜。